Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Hey, welcome to Renaissance and good morning to you. If we haven't met, my name is Jeff and I'm one of the leaders here and it's just so great to see all of you. One of my favorite things to do every week as we get started is I try to make my way through the room here a little bit and even to overflow and just shake hands with a few people. And I just love meeting new people. I know new people will try to avoid me, right? Or you try to avoid everyone when you're new and you're visiting a church. But I just want to welcome you. If you're visiting, thank you. We expect nothing of you. You'll be out of here by 1015-ish. It depends, right? And it'll be real easy for you. You can go on your day. But we're just so thankful that you've come. What we love to do every week and what Tyler made mention of is we're going to study our Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible and want to use one, you're welcome to use one underneath the seat close to you. There's a hardback black Bible there. You can use that Bible. You could turn to page 19. You're welcome. That'll get you right to Genesis chapter 25. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give that to you. So take that home with you and write your name in it and keep it and read it and ask God what it means. Um, I just, you have to know this. Every week I ask God, what does this mean? <laughs> right? Have you ever read the Bible and wondered, like, how does this even make sense to me? And I promise you, every time I do that, it's like the Lord just sort of nudges me and says, oh, this is that, this is that, that thing in your life, yeah, this speaks to that, and on and on it goes. In fact, I was getting my third cup, no judgment, third cup of coffee this morning, right, about 6 a.m., right, right? So I'm doing that, and I'm pouring my coffee, I promise you, and the Lord began to speak to me. This sounds so super weird, you know, super spiritual, but hear me. I'm in the most mundane thing of my day. I'm pouring another cup of coffee, and the Lord begins to answer a question that I had asked him the previous night. You might not be reading it and have an understanding when you walk away from it. It's one of those things you just have to sort of read, let it ingest into the spiritual man that's inside of you, um, and then let God just sort of bring it out when he needs to. So we thank God that he does that. And I think I have a couple things to say to you. In fact, if I could be very honest... I think I have a lot of things to say to you, but I don't know what he wants to say. So I want to just do this. We're going to be talking about um, a couple, a couple named Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, we learned from last week when Pastor Joe was preaching. It was everybody here last week to hear Pastor Joe speak? Dude, I'm, all right, Joe's standing right there. Everybody boo him. Boo. <laughs> he left, actually. Way to go. <laughs> He's kind of a jerk. I'm just saying. <laughs> it is God's house. We speak the truth here. <laughs> no, you, Joe did such a tremendous job helping us see that, that God had promised Abraham and Sarah this, this generational blessing, this promise that your, your descendants are going to be great like a, a nation, like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Um, and then he miraculously gives them a son, Isaac. And 
And now Isaac is some well into his adult years, and he doesn't have a, a son either. In fact, he's not even married at the time. And Joe did this, this great message last week of how Abraham got involved with the Lord and, and got a wife for his son Isaac that they might have children. And Joe, just in a parenthetical thought, just began to speak about singleness in the church. You remember that? Do you know how encouraging that would have been to, to have heard that when I was single? And wondering, like, why am I incomplete? Everyone else here is married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So listen, if you're single here for whatever reason, by choice or just whatever, like, hear me, there's encouragement from last week's message. So go get the podcast. It's so great. Give it to a friend of yours who is maybe struggling with some of that identity in the church. But um, anyways, by way of review, so, so Isaac now has a wife, Re- Rebecca. And we're going to read verses 19 through 34 today in Genesis chapter 25. And this is um, Moses who's telling us this story of how God, who has promised to Abraham and Sarah, again, a generational blessing. You're going to be a mighty nation from your descendants and a promised land given to you for always. He's also promised that to Isaac. Now, Isaac has a wife. Woohoo! Let's get started, right? But they don't have any children. And so the question remains, well, if God is a promise keeper like he was for Abraham and his wife, Sarah, will he also be a promise keeper for Isaac and his new wife, Rebecca? And that's sort of the tension that we're in this morning. So would you um, turn to Genesis chapter 25? I want to read the whole little passage together, um, and then we'll just talk about a few things here. Starting in verse 19. It says that these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, which we know, and Abraham fathered Isaac. Now, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of some guy of some land, the sister of another guy of the same land, to be his wife. All right, you get all that? You read it. In verse 21, and it said, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. He prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted the prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and yet the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, if I'm pregnant, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger." And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first one came out red. All his body looked like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for red. That's where that comes from. He was a ginger. I didn't say that, but that's what it's implying here, right? (laughs) We love them. And uh, (laughs) my, anyways. All right, so... And verse 26, and afterward his brother came out with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. So they named the second child, the second twin, right, Jacob. And Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. And we'll talk to that in a minute. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore the children. Now, when the boys grew up, fast forward, Moses like, all right, catch everybody up. Now they're adults. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. A few more verses. 
Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field after hunting, right? And he was exhausted. And so Esau says to Jacob, well, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am just exhausted. Therefore, his name will be called Edom. Again, Edom sounds like the Hebrew word for red. So we'll get to that in a little bit. And Jacob said, well, then sell me your birthright right now. Esau said, well, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? So here, take it. And Jacob says, no, swear to me right now. Swear to me. And so he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. In quick succession, he ate, he drank, he rose, and he went away. And then Moses adds this thought that Esau despised his birthright. Ugh. I have a lot to say. I'm a little nervous, honestly. Um, so let's pray together, can we? <laughs> I just want to make sure that we get out what needs to get out. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells in us and among us and through us will help us to understand what you want us to hear today. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who through him alone can we then even come close to you. Through him can we only pray to you through Jesus. Without Jesus, we have no right to come before you, but because of him, we stand before you and ask for your help. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you meet with us here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Verse 20, Moses tells us that Isaac's 40 years old when he marries Rebekah. That seems to be an insignificant piece of the story, but it'll come into play in just a few minutes. But just hold on to that. He's 40 years old when he gets married. And after he's married, we think, okay, now God's going to fulfill the promises. I have a wife now. I'm going to have children now. But, but much like his parents before him, his wife is barren as well. And she has no children. She cannot conceive a child. And I'm, I'm suspecting they tried, right? I'm suspecting they tried again and again and again. And yet she was barren. And what I, what I see here first is that, that Isaac, as her husband, he begins to pray to the Lord on her behalf. Now, this is where all the husbands get nervous and buckle in right now because it's about to get real for you. But hear me, there's something that I think we need to learn about this, that Isaac, the husband of his wife, Rebecca, sees the need, the want, the desire in his wife, and he begins to plead. That would be the Hebrew word. He begins to plead. He's petitioning. God, do you see what's happening here? Can you not fix this? Can you not come into this? And what I, I love about this, Joe and I were talking about this actually before I came up here. I asked Joe this question, and I ask it to you. How many times did Isaac pray for his wife? We don't know. But we know later in verse 26 that she didn't give birth till, she was, till he was 60. He's 40 years old when they get married. You guys can do the math, right? 40 and 60. For 20 years, he prayed for his wife. If he prayed once a week, that's over a thousand prayers. If he was a good husband, <laughs> he prayed every day for her. Over 7,000 prayers went before the Lord saying, Lord, would you, would you intervene here? Now, this is significant. And this is the thing that I, I think the Lord was reminded me as I was pouring coffee this morning. 
These details are here for a reason. And may I remind you, they're not necessarily here for us initially. They're here for God's people, the Israelites. So let's just pause here for a moment and remember where we are in the story. The Israelites had been held in bondage in Egypt under a wicked king, Pharaoh. They cry out to God, rescue us, save us. God sends a man, Moses, to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. This story of origins or beginnings is God speaking to Moses, this redeemer, and reminding him how all of this stuff took place in the beginning. May I remind you, Moses was not there in the beginning. He only knows this story because God himself is meeting with him and telling him the specific details to tell his people. And he says these words, and he prayed for his wife. See, they're in a seemingly unfixable or unchangeable situation. Nothing can fix this. Abraham has tried it with his wife, Sarah. It didn't work. God had to intervene. Miraculous birth with Isaac. Isaac is now with his wife, Rebecca. Nothing can change this situation. And so they begin to pray. He begins to pray for his wife. And we know this because God wants to tell his people this as well. The people of Israel are in the desert around this time, wondering if they'll ever get to the promised land, wondering if God is still going to fulfill their promise for them too. And God says, when you're in a seemingly unchangeable situation or a situation that seems too perilous or something that you cannot fix, what's he tell them to do? What's he prescribe for them to do? To pray. We have such a sanitized version of prayer in, in the world today. Now, I sound like that preacher guy now, and for that, I apologize. If I, if I read one more time on Facebook, hopes and prayers, I'm unfriending all y'all. <laughs> I assure you, Isaac is not sending up hopes and prayers for his wife. On bended knee, he's pleading with the Lord. Fix this situation. Change this circumstance. He knows desperately what his wife wants. Um, husband challenge here. How many of us could say we know the deepest desire of our wives right now? And in fact, if we do, are we praying for her to receive those from God? This, this idea of prayer, guys, I want us to hear this, and, and maybe this is all that we're going to talk about today. I don't know. I think God wants us to understand that prayer is an integral part of the believer's life. It's not a secondary thing. It's not, it's not a tertiary thing. It's, it's a primary part of our lives. Jesus, this is amazing. Jesus, when he comes to earth and he begins his earthly ministry, right, he gathers some people at the base of a mountain, and you can read about this in, in your Bible, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus goes up the side of that mountain, and he has all the, the masses gathered beneath him, and he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. And he says very matter-of-factly that the way you're living in the culture around you is a little countercultural to how God would have you live. God, in fact, wants us to look a little different than the world around us. Someone just say amen, I'll move on. Eh, yes. And he, he, he sort of lays out a laundry list. I'm sure it's not exhaustive. These are just examples that Jesus would give us on how the life of the believer looks different than the world around us. Number one, you, you turn your other cheek to someone who smacks you. 
When they try to take your shirt, you give them your jacket as well. If they ask you to go a mile, you go three or whatever. And you love your enemies, he says. You don't worry about retaliation. You trust the Lord to take care of all of that. He says you give to the needy. Every need for every needy person on the earth could be met by the church. No question. If we lived this countercultural way that God intended for us. And in all of this, Jesus adds this, this little passage where he says, and when you pray, when you pray, Matthew chapter six, and he says it three times. It's not a possibility that you might pray if you pray. He says, no, when you pray, you're a believer in me. When you pray, you have to do some things. Number one, you don't do it like the, the church hypocrite. Everybody has one of them in their family, right? The church hypocrite who prays loudly and boldly on the street corners and the church buildings, hoping to, that everyone would see them and how holy and perfect they are. He says, don't pray like that, but go to a quiet place, a secret place, and pray to your father, he says. That the life of the believer includes prayer, diligent, disciplined, earnest prayer. And you pray to your father who calls us sons and daughters who can help us in all of our seemingly unchangeable situations. And they pray. Jesus ends his sermon on the mount with this little metaphorical story about a, a person who's building a house. It's just a picture of our life. And he says, if you do all of these things that I've just told you, right, go read the sermon. He says, if you do those things, if you hear these things and obey them, then you'll be like a builder who's building a house on rock, on solid ground. And then when the storms of life come and the flood comes and the rain comes and the wind comes, your house will not crumble. The picture is this, you will not lose your life because of the world's struggles. But if, he says, you do not do these things, if you do not give to the needy, if you do not turn the other cheek, if you do not love your enemies, and on and on it goes, and if you do not pray for these seemingly unchangeable situations in your life, then when the storm comes, your life will crumble. Oh, I love, oh excited. The only thing that blows me away is that Jesus never promises no storms. He says, and when the storms come. If you've had a friend tell you that if you just give your life to Jesus, everything gets better, they're lying to you. It doesn't mean things get better. It just means that you'll survive whatever things come your way. This prayer aspect is crucial for the believer. Isaac shows that to us. The whole Bible is filled with stories like this. And it says that he prays for her for 20 years. Prayer, simply put, is just having a conversation with God. And I don't know if you know this, but God has given us two ears and one mouth. So when you're praying, listen twice as much as you talk. Ouch. See, sometimes we think prayer is just, Lord, I want, I need, I want, I need. He's like, ch -ch -ch -ch. Listen, Linda, listen. <laughs> right? He prays for his wife, and I love this. And the Lord granted his prayer. I want you to know the word used there for when Isaac is praying and the Lord, Lord granted his prayer, it's the same exact word. 
It's a conversation. It's I do this, he does this. I do this, he does this. It's the same thing back and forth. When you enter into prayer or conversations with God, petitioning, pleading for for God to do things in your life, he responds in the same way that you go to him in. And it says, and then the Lord granted the prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Hallelujah, or so you think. Because in the next verse, verse 20, what does that say, 2? It says, the children that were inside of her struggled. And she says, if this is pregnancy, right, why is this happening to me? It's as if her insides are being torn in two. And she's never been pregnant before. And new moms would probably admit the first time they felt something move around is kind of creepy and weird, right, but also wonderful and great. But whatever's happening to Rebecca is not wonderful and great. She's seen the women in the city get pregnant, and they loved it. And she's about, like, losing her mind because there's, like, seems to be World War III happening inside of her. And, and when this happens to her, what does Rebecca do? It says that then she went and inquired of the Lord. Can I just remind you that, that last week, Joe told us that when when Abraham, the dad, wanted to find a wife for his son Isaac, he said, do not take a woman from this region, but go back to my homeland and find a wife for him there. Now, this is significant for us because what I'm saying is that he goes up to the land of Ur, which is where Abraham is from, and know this, all of the people up there are not God believers. They're idolaters. They don't believe in God. So follow this logic with me. So all of a sudden, she takes Isaac as her husband. She gets pregnant. And what's the thing that she does to do when she has a seemingly unchanging situation in front of her? She prays to the Lord. She she inquires of the Lord. How does she know to do this? She's not a believer. Or she wasn't. But for the last 20 years, she's had a picture, a model of what it looks like to follow God. Isaac, her husband, prayed continually time and time and time again. Her father-in-law, Abraham, this was before Netflix and chill, when after dinner everyone just sat around and Abraham would tell the stories of how God intervened on their behalf and brought the son Isaac when there was no hope for them. And time and time again, and now when something is seemingly like terrible inside of her, she also goes to the Lord and says, Lord, what's happening to me? I also love this fact that the very thing that they prayed for came to her and it made her life more difficult. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I think sometimes that the promises of God have to be birthed through a difficult thing in us. I shared this story a thousand times and forgive me for mentioning it now except that it just popped into my my mind. When, When the Lord talked to me and my wife about planting this church, um, we hesitantly said yes, right? Much like Moses. Well, I don't know if I could do this thing. I'm not really qualified. I'm a stutterer if you know the story. I felt the same way about planting this church renaissance. But we said yes, and it was in the middle of having said yes. For the next few years, I had more anxiety than I'd had in my previous lifetime ever. I had the worst year in 2007. In the month of July in 2007, I lost over 30 pounds, I think, in a month because I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was so fraught with anxiety, and yet all I was doing was saying yes to that which God wanted me to do. But because God has great care for me and love for me, he, he led me through that most difficult season. And hear me, this church exists because I went through that tough spot. 
Is that helpful? Am I the only one that wants to cry right now? Would you help me rescue the true gospel back from the, the people that, that push it as just a band-aid, a fix-all for everything? Would you help me? Would you remind people that when you prayed for things, it got more difficult for you, but your faith in Jesus brought you through it. And because of that, now I can do the thing that God wanted me to do. All too often, people believe that it's just this fix. If I just add Jesus like a crouton to the salad of my life, all of a sudden it just gets better because croutons make everything better. Carbs, amen? <laughs> For 20 years, Lord, please. You see her, don't you? Please. Lord, please. Please. And he does. And now Rebecca's like, Lord, why? Why? Why is this happening? And look what the Lord does. He responds to her. He speaks to her. He talks back to her. This this idolater from a faraway land who's now decided to trust in the Lord as well, like her father-in-law and her husband, the Lord speaks to her, verse 23, and he says, there are two nations inside of your womb. <laughs> you think you're having twins? Not. There are two nations inside of you. <laughs> These two peoples inside of you will forever be divided. We'll learn later that one son is Esau, the other son is Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel is the father of the Israelites. Right? Esau becomes Edom. Edom is the father of the Edomites. These are arch enemies to each other. In fact, when Moses rescues God's people out of Egypt and he's taking them to the promised land, they run into the land of the Edomites and they go before the king, the king of Edom, and they say, can we just pass through your land? We're going to the promised land that God has given us. And the king of Edom comes out. You step one foot onto my land and you will meet the sword, he says. That these nations will never get along. And they're inside of your womb. And he says, in fact, there's a, a stronger one, stronger than the other. And then the older one is going to serve the younger, he says. Now, this goes against everything that their culture would have understood regarding primogeniture, if you know what I'm talking about, where the oldest has first choice in everything. Is, it should be, have precedence in everything. And God speaks to Rebecca and says, no, I'm flipping that thing upside down. Did I mention that God's kingdom is oftentimes countercultural? That it looks a little different than how you and I think it should go. God says to her that the babies inside of you are going to grow to be nations and one is going to serve the other one. I'm going to choose the younger one over the older one. And it says when the days came for her to give birth, the twins come out. The first one is red. We mentioned that already. And I find this interesting that when Esau comes out, uh, first, Jacob, it, it appears, is grabbing a hold of his heel. <laughs> you know, like, get back in here, son. I, I want to go first or something. Um, and that's what his name means. It means heel catcher or he cheats, which I found sort of interesting until I remembered in high school soccer. Anyone? Right. So I remember there's only one ref and 11 v. 11. So you can do a whole lot of stuff and the ref don't catch it. Right. That's the goal of soccer. It's not to score goals. It's to cheat without getting caught. I'm just saying. And I remember playing soccer, and a guy would take off on a fast break, and if the ref's not looking, you just kick his heel, and he falls down, and you go, I have no idea what happened to that guy. <laughs> yeah. 
That's Jacob. He's, he's from the womb trying to trip up his brother. He's from the womb trying to take advantage of his brother. He's from the womb trying to, to find his place first over his brother. The Lord, I love this, he knows this. He says the older brother will serve the younger. Anyways, verse 27, the boys grow up. Esau's a hunter, a skillful man in the field. Jacob's a quiet man dwelling in tents. Again, this is super encouraging to the Israelites as they're wandering through the desert, living in what? Tents. They're like Jacob, they think. Verse 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished or exhausted or just what he feels like on the verge of death. Esau's there, right? Jacob is making some food and he says, Give me some of your stew. And Jacob, tripping up his brother, says, I'll give you whatever you want, but I want your birthright first. And he's like, what, what's my birthright mean to me? I'm going to die if I don't eat. So he says, fine. And he goes, no, 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 swear to me. Now, swearing back then, it was an oath, and it was unbreakable, just punishable by death, right? This is that let your yes be yes stuff that you read about in the Bible. We would do well to, never mind. Anyway, so he says, swear to me, I get your birthright. And he says, okay. And he, he gives them Gives him the stew. And look at this in verse 34, as I mentioned earlier. He, he gives him the stew, stew. Sorry, He eats it, he drinks it, he rises, and he goes away. In quick succession, Moses tells us what happened. Now, w- would you admit that selling your birthright for some soup, lentil soup at that? What? Lentil soup? I don't know what a lentil is, but I don't want it in my soup. Would you agree with me that that was probably not the best decision that Esau's ever made in his life? And have you ever made a dumb decision when you're super hungry or whatever, and then afterwards you're like, okay, you settle in, and like, okay, now I have my wits about me again? Right? But Esau doesn't come to that conclusion. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, his mind isn't opened even after he ate. He ate, he drank, he rose, he left. He never once went back to Jacob and said, man, I... I was just hangry. I was, I was not myself. I, can I have my birthright back? I mean, he, he could have. He could have. In fact, I would argue maybe he should have. But he didn't. And Moses adds this last line. He says, and he didn't do this because Esau despised his birthright. To him, it meant nothing to him. Now, whatever this looks like, and if you read commentaries on this, you'll, you'll find yourself swimming in a bunch of different ideas on what all of this, this means. But just know this. This is exactly what God said would happen when she was pregnant with twins. Oh, if the Lord says something to you, and it might not look like that's what's happening in your world around you, if the, if the Lord is talking to you about it, I promise you, he's right. Yes? I promise you, whatever he's saying is, yes, that's the right thing. That's the thing that will work out. And Esau, he sells his birthright for some stew, and and it's exactly what he said would happen. I want to add this uh, little thought here. Esau had rights based on his birth. Birth rights, right? You hear this? And yet God said no. 
God said no. The older is going to serve the younger. It's not going to happen the way the culture says it should happen. It's not going to happen the way it's always happened, he says. But Esau had rights, but God said no. And can I just lovingly remind us all that we too have birthrights? You know what our birthrights are? Eternal condemnation and separation from God. Because we are born sinful, that's what the Bible tells us. It's not based on anything we've ever done. We are born in iniquity, born into sin. We have the right to be forever separated from God for all eternity. We have the right to be punished forever. We have the right to all of those things. We have the right to struggle in this world for, the exist, for our every day of existence here, right? But God, like he said to Rebecca, says no to that as well. What we have do us, God says no to, and he only says no to through his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I can have a different life. We don't have to reap what, our, what we should get from our birthright. We can actually, we can gain what John calls in John chapter three, verse 16, eternal life with God through Jesus. It is, you know, they call the gospel good news. That's what gospel means. Do you know how good of news that is to some of you? To me. To be reminded that the place that we have with God is not based on anything that we've ever done, but based on something that his son Jesus has done for us is so liberating. As the Israelites were in the desert and Moses is telling them this story, how, how much must they, they must have remembered how they tried and tried and tried to free themselves from Egypt but could never get out. It was only, it was only when God came and rescued them did they find freedom? This morning, like most of my mornings, I'm praying for the addicted. I'm praying for the broken. I'm praying for the people who just are caught in snares in this world, and they are just seemingly incapable of freeing themselves. I won't share names with you, but there are people that you know that are struggling with this stuff. But they go three steps forward, it appears, and the family rejoices, only to fall back two more steps, only to be caught back into that snare again. And, and rather than give up on them, we, we bend our knee like Isaac did for his wife, Rebecca, and we see their need. He wasn't praying for himself. Did you read that? He's praying for his wife, and for 20 years, he prayed and prayed and prayed. And this is what I, I feel compelled to do as a pastor of this church. I am praying for the lost all the time. If you're a Christian here, would you look at me? That's everybody? <laughs> okay, I don't know. You're okay. I like you. It's fine. But I like sinners better. I like people who don't trust the church better. I like the people that are so lost 
in, in the sin of their life, the, 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 the darkness of their life. I love being able to share Jesus with them and giving them a hope that they've never had before. Maybe liking them better was the wrong thing to say. I like you guys pretty well too. But do you hear what I'm trying to say? It, it can never be just about serving the, the believer. It has to also have a, a reach for the hurt, for the lost, for the help. I mean, I think churches oftentimes will put ministries together to help them. And I think that's great. I think there are many organizations in the city that, that help people like that, which I think is great. But can I tell you the one thing we must be doing? We must be praying for them. All right, I totally didn't plan on doing this. Can I ask a question, a real question? And I'm going <laughs> to, this is going to be good. <laughs> or, or it won't be good, I don't know. Can, can I ask you to raise your hand if you personally know someone? who is addicted to something. Oh, my God. I mean, not, not like a co-worker's brother. I mean, like you know the person. You've had a conversation with them. You see the, the darkness in their eyes on days. Yes? Can I just bother you for three minutes? I have three minutes left. Can I just ask you to pray with me for them? I'm going to ask Tyler to come out. He's probably back there somewhere. Tyler, are you back there? Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. I'm going to have him play something just to help us just sort of settle in. We'll dim the lights a little bit. And for the next few minutes, I just want to pray. These are um, these people that we know are brothers or sisters, their sons or daughters, their friends. They're, they're in a situation so similar to Rebecca's. They, they can't fix it. They can't fix it. But God used a man, Isaac, to petition the Lord, and the Lord granted his prayer. But the boldest faith I could muster in all of my existence, I want to pray for those who are addicted today. Would you pray with me? In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name, by no authority that exists in me or this church or anything, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ alone, I pray that you begin to release people who are uh, in addictions right now. If you know someone and know their name, just begin to think on their name and begin to think on how God could release them. Begin to say things like, Lord, we're not frustrated with them. We're not angry with them. We know they've, they've hurt us and they've, they've caused trouble in our life. But to live a life that Jesus has explained to us, we do not seek retaliation. We love those who have hurt us. Lord, in Jesus' name, begin to release them from their addictions.
in Jesus' name. God, I pray right now that, that the Spirit of God would be, <laughs> would be so heavy. It's the wrong word. I don't know how to explain it. But that the Spirit of God would be so felt in their lives that they would not even understand what it is. Many of them are not even believers, Lord, and yet you can rescue them out as well. God, help us to be people who are more than a church that just puts up hope and prayers for people, but that we would petition the Lord on the behalf of the hurting. That we would, we would plead with the Lord on behalf of those who need help. God, help us to be that church. Lord, we thank you for this story of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau. God, I thank you that you chose the one, <laughs> the younger one, that you broke all the rules, that he wasn't deserving of anything, but you gave it all to him, just like us, Lord. We were undeserving of everything, but you give us eternal life, the Holy Spirit, a purpose. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do. Now that we have this understanding like Israel would have had this understanding in the desert, God, may it, may it strengthen us. May it help us to, to build the, the foundation of our lives on those things that you speak of, Lord. Help us to continually uh, uh, remind ourselves that everything we do in life is built upon you. And if it's not upon you, Lord, we ask that you take it away. We love you and we thank you. We believe you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.